You are listening to Alter Echo, a scripture and message podcast with pastors Andy Smith and Kim Kylo of St. John's Lutheran Church, ELCA, Lakeville, Minnesota. Thanks for joining us and worshiping with us. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Alter Echo for this weekend of October 31st. This day happens to be called Halloween in our culture, of course, and kids all over the place are excited just as I was as a kid, to go out trick-or-treating and get dressed up and have that kind of fun. It's always been a fun day. This day does spring from a day in the early Christian era called All Hallows' Eve, and it was the evening of All Saints' Day. It was All Holy Day. And so All Hallows' Eve was a little bit like Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, and it just turned into uh, something a little different in our culture So we are here on the day of All Hallows' Eve, which is also the day that Martin Luther, back in 1517, nailed supposedly 95 uh, complaints, theses they called them, uh, declarations against the Pope and against the Roman Church at the time, on the door of the Wittenberg Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And here we are now, 504 years later, celebrating Reformation Sunday. It reminds me of the Latin phrase, Ecclesia Semper Reformanda, a little bit of a Latinized Greek phrase. It means the church always reforming. It's shortened from the Reformed Church, the Reformed Church always reforming. And so on this day, we're going to talk about the Reformation, what it might mean for us as people of uh, the church, of the Lutheran um, uh, version of the Christian church, the Lutheran movement in the Christian church, and how we are called to continue to always keep reforming the church. So here I am on this Friday. The sun is shining after a couple of really gray, rainy days. It looks and feels so good. It's, It's crisp, and yet it's still unseasonably warm. And at my dining room table, I get to be sipping on a cup of espresso, which <laughs> is something that you can't do in the pulpit, or I suppose I haven't tried it. Maybe uh, maybe people would be okay with it. But anyway, I'm here with a cup of espresso, getting ready to dive into God's living word with you. So welcome. I am so glad you're along on this weekly journey. This week we are tackling, and I'm going to use that word purposefully because there are some good sports analogies that are going to come out of this that are helpful to us today. We are tackling Jacob's wrestling with God before he finally re-engages his brother Esau. So this is from Genesis chapter 32, and it starts at verse 22. So if you'll get out your Bibles, turn to Genesis 32, Go to verse 22, and then we will read into chapter 33 through verse 11. Here's what it says. The same night he got up and took his two wives, this is Jacob, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything that he had had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. 
Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him. And he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given to your servant. Then the maids drew near they and their children and bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down, and finally Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything I want. So he urged him and he took it. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, Reformation Sunday, the reform of the church, the renewal, the reinvigorating of the church. That's what we're here today for as much as anything else. But can we just talk about the story of Jacob a bit? You have to remember the backstory. And I will do the Reader's Digest version of it for you as best I can. Jacob and Esau were mortal enemies. From the moment they came into the world in birth, they were at each other. Jacob's name means trickster because he tricked Esau out of his father's blessing and the birthright. Esau was the older of the two brothers. They were so much the enemy to each other that Esau pledged to kill Jacob. And Jacob's father and mother told him to get out of town so that he wouldn't be killed by his seething, angry brother Esau, who had every right, I suppose, to do that. However, no one ever has a right to kill or be violent. So Jacob left for years, worked and lived with 
his uncle Laban. And this is the culmination now of the coming back together, that there had to be a reconnection. There had to be some kind of a wrestling with each other to figure out how they were going to move forward. So where do we go with this? First of all, I'm going to suggest that one of the games we played as kids might be helpful to us here. Ever played the game chicken? <laughs> we, we played it all the time as kids. You know, we didn't have video games and phones to deal with. We were outside playing all the time. And so one of the games of chicken that we probably played most was on our bikes. We would line up at opposite ends of the block and start riding toward each other. And the goal was to see who would flinch first, who would relent first, or if someone was so stubborn, or both of us, that we would run, run into each other. Well, of course, that never happened. I'm here living to tell about it. But we would ride toward each other, and at the very last split second, both veer off and hopefully veer off in different directions so that we didn't tumble into each other in the end anyway. And it never happened that we ran into each other and chipped our teeth and hit our heads and whacked ourselves bloody on the ground. But the game of chicken was all about, we thought, courage. While the game of chicken really is about perhaps being defensive or scared even, but really ultimately relenting. I kind of think the Jacob and Esau story is a, about a game of chicken, his brothers. For years, them trying to protect their territory, being defensive with each other, doing things that weren't the best for each other, sibling rivalry at its best. And yet here at the end, the two boys, grown men, come walking toward each other, both with their forces of people. Jacob with animals and maids and kids and wives. Esau with 400 men, an army. They didn't know what to expect from each other. Were they going to kill each other? Jacob thought so. The night before, though, he wrestled with God. Really important. And in the wrestling, in the trying to figure out what the next moment, the next decision was going to be, God gave him the example of what it would be. God, in that game of chicken, in that game of wrestling, relented. God could have done Jacob in for all the trickster and trickery stuff that he had perpetrated in his life. God could have done them in, but he didn't. He relented so that the story of life and the experience of life could go on. And yet, even still, having seen the face of God and being, being renewed and, 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 and kept from dying, having seen the face of God, from Jacob's own vantage point, when he gets to Esau, he still doesn't trust what's going to happen next. And in that game of chicken, what happened? Esau didn't keep the game going. Esau threw open his arms and welcomed his brother into him, his brother who had tricked him out of the birthright and the blessing from his father. Esau opened his arms and hugged his brother, and his brother and he both wept and fell to the ground. And life went on. 
And there was a complete renewal of their relationship. There was a reformation of the holy relationship that they had as brothers on this earth. So that's one story that I want to tell you today about the game of chicken. In other words, had they continued the game, neither of them would have won. Quite likely, both of them would have been hurt or even killed. And violence would have prevailed. Is that what life is about? Is that what the church is about? But one showed grace. In the end, it's all about grace. Life is about people showing grace to each other. The church is about people showing grace to each other. And faith and having the vision of what God is about for us is about understanding God showing grace for us. So here's a quick second story. I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine the other day at our text study, not the one that Pastor Kim and I do on the podcast, but one that we go to with about six or seven other pastors. And this woman told the story about how she was at an ordination of one of our colleagues some weeks ago. He had, he had been a part of her life and she had been a part of his life uh, going uh, into the ministry and being prepared for the ministry. And so she was invited to the ordination And she went to the ordination and decided that she wasn't going to bring her robe that we wear on Sunday mornings or her red stole. She just didn't feel like that was necessary, which it wasn't. And yet it's the tradition, of course, that pastors wear a robe and a stole at an ordination of a colleague. But she decided that for her and for the you know, for the grand scheme of celebrating this calling that her colleague had had heard and, 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 and prepared for and been certified for. She didn't need her robe and her, her stole. And so she walked into the church that day where the ordination was going to be held and walked into the room where all the pastors were gathered with this ordinand. And when she opened the door, of course, all eyes looked at her. She was the last one to get there. And she didn't have her robe or her stole with her. And all her colleagues, she said, just stared. They didn't quite know what to do. And the bishop was even there. And the long and short of the story is that she wasn't welcomed into the procession of the pastors that day because she didn't have a robe and she didn't have a stole. Yet she had a clergy collar on. She was a colleague of theirs just as much as anybody else there. A robe and a stole doesn't confer any extra authority or regality to a person. And she really understood in that moment, even that in the church, the game of chicken can go on. And it happened right then and there, and nobody would flinch. And so she was the one who relented. She was the one who sought to experience some level of grace. So she went and sat by herself in a pew in the church, and when the laying on of hands portion of the ordination happened, she went up just like they uh, are able to do, like we all are able to do when the call for any pastors who are in the congregation want to come up and lay on hands for the blessing of that new pastor. She went up and participated anyway but without a robe and without a stole. 
ironically when she walked back to her seat. The hymn that they sang was actually a hymn that this ordinand wrote that we have sung in our church many, many times. All are welcome. We will build a house where love will dwell, and all are safely here. <laughs> you know that song. And if you look it up, the words are incredible. All words of welcome to anyone and everyone. And yet she, having walked into that room with all of her colleagues, even in the church, was not welcomed as one of them because she didn't have a robe or a stole. Wow, where was grace? It wasn't there at that moment. Here's the third story. Jesus, the one who lived his life playing the game with all of the religious authorities, finally was the one who relented in the end. They won. They put him on the cross and they killed him and instead of grace abounding and allowing those religious authorities from the church, from the synagogue, and Jesus to come together in reconciliation, they remained rivals, but only from their vantage point. Jesus has nothing to do with rivalry. He's not playing that game. Jesus comes in grace, calls us to come in grace too, in grace, in welcome, in hospitality, in relenting, in not keeping the game of violence or defensiveness going. Grace allows for a new chapter, a renewal, a complete and vibrant renewal. It allows for tenderness and mercy. It allows for welcome and equality. It allows for people feeling accepted and being able to be themselves it allows the church to be vibrant and exuberant and filled with energy for what the church is really meant to do. It's meant to convey that. It's meant to convey the love of Christ for every single person. It's meant to go out and be the hands and the heart and the voice of Jesus in the world who welcomed all people. That's what the Reformation is about. That's what the church always reforming is about. The church always reforming is about locating itself at the real truth. And the real truth, Jesus says in John, in the Bible, is that the truth is him. And the truth sets us free. The truth is grace. And grace, the giving of ourselves and not putting up walls, is about living the love of Christ that welcomes people and reconciles with people and takes away the rivalries and the anger and the defensiveness and the bitterness and the fear. John Pavlovitz is a pastor. I just want to read one quote of his to you. This is where the truth is about the church and about grace. This is where we are called to locate our priorities and our goals and our faith. It goes like this. He rejected the exclusion and rigidity of religious fundamentalists. He championed the poor and opposed the powerful. He freely gave food to the hungry and care to the sick. 
He welcomed women in ministry and treated them as equals. He decried personal and systemic violence. He condemned the hoarding of wealth. He was an activist for the common good. That's about Jesus. That's about the truth of the gospel. It's about the hard work of being self-sacrificing. Yet, in being self-sacrificing, being led into the light of grace, of love. This is where joy is found. This is where true depth is found. This is where the true life of the gospel takes hold and is unleashed when we do the hard work of following Christ and being like Jesus. Let's end today with the prayer of St. Francis. I think this is where the reformation of the church is designed to go. And ironically, St. Francis was a Roman Catholic priest. But listen to this and pray with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. May we die to all our old rivalries, dear friends, so that we may be born to reconciliation with those in our lives and with God. And let us not be the ones who are rigid and stuck, but let us be the ones who are the reformers. And let us be reformed within ourselves, knowing that God comes to us to relent and show grace so that we might see God face-to-face, and may we do the same for our brothers and sisters all over the world. God's peace to you on this Reformation Sunday weekend. Amen. And now God's Word is alive in us again anew, and we get the blessing of being called to let it echo through us out into the world in which we live. Everyone, If you wish to give your offering now to support things like this podcast and the work and ministry of St. John's Church in Lakeville, Minnesota, I invite you to do that. Please go to our website at sjlcl.org. I'll repeat it, sjlcl.org. And up in the right-hand corner, you'll see a little button named Donate. Hit that button And you can give your offering to God and for the work of God in the world through this church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Thank you in advance for the gifts and the offerings that you give. And now as we go on our way, we are sent with the blessing of peace, the benediction. Dear friends, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, t
until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. God loves you, everyone. God be with you until next week.